What with Karate in the Garage? I'm Corey Culp. I'm Freddie Wolf. Ooh, we're back with the movie episode. Check that out. Boop, boop, a boop. movie. A movie. Uh, this is a movie that we that we talked about for a long time, for a long, long time. Right, because they're making this into a series. We were gonna. No, no, they are. Somebody is. Paul Anderson, Paul W.S. Anderson. A series of conversations. <laughs> a series of conversations. And perhaps a series. Maybe next time we do some sequels, <laughs> we'll sequelize this one. Yeah, because they did a sequel to this one. And we're talking about Guillermo del Toro's Mimic. I knew of Kronos, which is the movie he did before this. That was kind of like put him on the map. But I didn't. This was the first movie his I had seen. Was this before The Devil's Backbone or after? Yes, it was before. It was, okay. it was like almost four years before it. It took him right. a long time to get things going on that. This movie it wasn't his first feature, but it was his first quote-unquote major feature, or in this case, mini-major, because this is a Miramax movie. It's currently on Showtime, by the way, if you wanted to watch it before you listen to this. Or Paramount Plus. No, where did I watch it? I guess I watched it on Showtime. Yeah, You're I think right. it was on Showtime. It was on Paramount Plus. And then when we, when we both went to go watch it, it wasn't anymore, which seems right. to be commonplace these days. Because it was Dimension, right? It's one of those Dimension titles, right. Miramax right. titles, Miramax titles that they bought. Yeah. And according to the Showtime app, it's supposed to be gone at the end of the month. So maybe it just had a one month thing and then it was gone. Or maybe I always assumed it was on Paramount Plus because we've been noticing once it's been falling off other services, they've, it shows up on Paramount they've migrated Plus. over. Yeah. Yeah. This is the movie that... Most people haven't seen in Del Toro's catalog and it didn't do well in the theater necessarily. A lot of people saw, but not like, again, just as another one of those movies we talked about from 97 or the nineties in general, where it found an audience, not a big audience, but people became aware of him. So by the time Devil's Backbone came around, they were a little more aware of it. And of course, a few years after that, you got Blade 2. And that's right. the one that really cracked the egg open for him. And well, I was going to say, like we talked before we got on the mic, the, the, I feel the movie got lost in the shuffle of Mimic, The Relic, and Species, right? Like right. some people go, oh, I've seen Mimic, and they're like, they start describing it to me. I'm like, nope, that's Species. Or, or yeah, that's the one within the museum. I'm like, no, that's The Relic. Yeah. You do that whole thing where you get confused about it, kind of like, is it Bill Pullman or Bill Paxton? It's right. <laughs> or or Jeff Daniels. There you go. Or Jeff Daniels. <laughs> There's the three, right? There you it's go. like those three movies, those three guys. Here's one thing that Mimic does that The Relic and species does not. They kill fucking kids in this movie. Dude, I was just going to say the same thing. I was going to say, when was the last time you saw some kids die that horribly in a movie? Probably the last time you saw Mimic. It may have been off screen, but it wasn't the sound. Not those two kids, man. Not those two. Not the bucktooth kid and his buddy. They oh, got man. killed right center, dead center, right in the middle of the frame, dude. And I was like, holy shit. They did it. They did it better than the fucking remakes of it could even dream of. Dude, it's so great because and it's it, and it's payback because they're so shitty. The homeless people that were living down there, those little dicks, <laughs> they're assholes. They're assholes, and they get what's coming to them. They're money grabbing punks. And when you think about the premise of the movie, the, you know, Mira Sorvino created. She's an animatologist, and you know what? Usually, I wouldn't think that doesn't really work. Um, and you know what? Something else I want to point out too before well, I get in. Well, it's not like Michael Rappaport being a structural engineer for, you know, you know an underwater <laughs> fucking lab or what? anything. What? I'm just saying. Deep blue sea. Uh, this was the same year that. Shark fan. Robbie and Michelle came out. So yeah. how, talk about two very diverse roles. And, and you said something to me before we got on mic about Mira Sorvino. There's a moment in the movie where she reminds you of somebody in particular. 
Yes, Jennifer Aniston. Right. She, it's she's looking at herself in the mirror, the way it's lit, and she. I'm like, oh my god, dude. We we said it looked. She looked. Uh, you know, if I didn't know. There was Marissa Vino. If I'd never seen the movie, I, and I walked in at that moment, I would, I would have been like, "Is this uh, is this all about Polly or whatever the it's called?" Yeah, she has a little bit of that that Rachel hairdo, which was yeah, which it wasn't was uncommon. Huge which, then, which helps sells that whole thing. Anyway, I'm reason why I want to make sure we talked about that because the the, the connective tissue of being mirrored you know, is in the movie with Lisa Kudrow that came out early. No, it came out later, later in the year, earlier '97. I don't recall, but but what a one-two punch after the Oscar, right? Yeah, totally. Romy Michelle is something you kind of expect from her, but this isn't. This isn't something you expected from her. And I buy her as an entomologist. I It's fine with me. I, I, no, dude, she's great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have like zero issue with her. I mean, she had a nice little run right there, man. Like after Mighty Aphrodite, she was in Beautiful Girls, oh, which dude. I love. Romy and Michelle. I feel like Beautiful Girls comes up when you and I talk, but I can never remember. Do we ever do it on my Chris? It just us texting, just going, fucking movie so good. No, I think it's just like, I think it's always like pre, it's always like a pre conversation before we record. Yeah. Because it, it somehow it usually comes up when we're getting ready to do a, a movie about, uh, do an episode about another movie. And for some reason, we've talked about it. Uh, a few times. I'm trying to think, was there a Natalie Portman thing that we talked? Was there a Natalie Portman movie? I, I, I think covered? we made a, we, I think you made a reference to Natalie Portman and something else. Cause we haven't covered any Natalie Portman movies yet. No, I, don't think. I think, you know, I think we, we, I think we got into a discussion once about heat and uh, maybe you know, so. young yeah. Natalie Portman and the, the professional. And I was, and I think I said, man, my favorite movie from that point in her career is beautiful girls. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Michael Rappaport. Yes. It's full circle, man. I I, I was and just like with a lot of movies in this window of time we mentioned before. They they there were so many movies coming out that if you if your movie didn't really open, it didn't stick around very long. At that point, studios want to say, "Hey, this movie title is still in people's brains, rattling around, even though they're not seeing a the theater." Let's get that video out right away, and we can make some of our money back in that DVD window, especially right now when DVD just starting to hit you know, later on in '97. The movie is, it's fun because it's got this now. I mean, if you look at it right now with us going, we've been going through the last year and a half, there is this disease called Strickler's disease that's killing all these, these kids that are coming down with it. It's almost like a, a heavy duty influenza and it's, and it's just killing kids. And so Mira Servina's character creates this genetically enhanced cockroach and it's called the Judas breed. And it's a crossbreed between a termite. I shouldn't say cockroach. It's a crossbreed between a, a mantis and a termite. It's got this enzyme that accelerates the roach's metabolism. So their lifespan goes much quicker than it usually does. Right. But what happens when you name anything Judas ever? <laughs> it's going it to come back to Probably fucking not. stab you in the back. <laughs> come on. No better than that. It's like you, you just scream it right. Well, you know, if they call it something else, there's no movie. So. Right. I hear you, man. I didn't mean to scream, but I was very excited. Just <laughs> this is a time to, you know, how far before on no country is this for Josh Brolin, right? Oh no, dude, this is, oh God, this is 10 years before. Yeah. That. Yeah. It's like, he's still, he still he looks like a he's, teenager. He's still. just a little bit closer to, to no country than he is to Goonies at this point in the years. And yeah. not by much, maybe by, by a year. I think he's closer to, to, to no country than, than the 85 Goonies. But this one, he's fun to do. He's a great supporting cat. Everybody in this movie is so good. We talked about this. There's one character, you know, character actor in there that's really not up to snuff because everybody else is so elevated and so great in it. 
And it ain't F. Marie Abraham because that dude needed to be in more of this movie. <laughs> dude, seriously, I felt the same way. And he's right in the very beginning when they're making the announcement about the Judas breed and that they're going to release it and try to help save these kids. And he, you don't see him again until later on. Like, because they fast forward three years after the Judas breed's been released and and all the kids, you know, all the cockroaches that have been affecting the kids are, are all gone, they think. Right. <laughs> they think. Until three, I guess, three years later, and things start popping up again. And that's when we see F. Murray Abraham because he's Mira Sorvino's mentor. He's kind of like shadow conspiracy. He's almost, he's almost, uh, he's almost deep throat, right? In yep. this movie. Yep. You know, he's like the smoking man. <laughs> he's so good in it, too. Like, and uh, Charles S. Dutton pops up later on as a dude, right? Metro cop who, you know, who yep. fucking, I, God, I miss Charles Dutton, man. I wish yeah. that cat was working more now. Yeah. I mean, he's so great in it. She's great. Brolin, Alex, is it Alex Kamazi who plays uh, Rome, Remy? Yeah. Which I thought was funny because it's almost Romy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I kept thinking they were saying Romy. I was like, who are they calling Romy? Is yeah. that an inside joke? And then, of course, the uncle that plays the, is plays Manny oh. uh, Giancarlo Giannini, and he's Fucking great. You know him as, oh, I hope I don't ruin this for anybody, the double agent Casino Royale. <laughs> right. Or, you know, or the, or Hannibal. Or Hannibal. Yes. And he's fucking great in that too. It's so funny. The two characters, I think Casino Royale and Hannibal are so similar. Yeah, totally. And by the way, don't sleep on Hannibal. I know it gets shitted on, but you oh, know what? In a lot of ways, far. in a lot of ways, it's better than lambs. And I'll fight you about that. It's it's my second favorite of those. Uh, I mean, I, it's Red Dragon, then Hannibal. Then Silence of the Lambs. There, I said it. Send me your hate. But you meant man. You meant Manhunter, not Red Dragon. I'm sorry. Yes, <laughs> I'm talking about the book. But yes, the no, book. No, oh yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I meant Manhunter, not uh, Red Dragon. I know. Just making sure. No, God, please. <laughs> I, I would have deserved all the hate mail. Yeah, I, I still. You know, it's funny, man, because I still call it Red Dragon because I read the book before I'd seen any of the movies. A friend of mine had turned me on to when I was about 17, and I was like, "Fuck." And then the next year, the movie came out and I was like, Manhunter? Why are they calling it Manhunter? Yep. <laughs> it just was such a, but like now, I, yeah, I still can't. I don't know that I've seen Red Dragon ever more than once. It's I think okay. I saw it. Yeah. It's okay, but it, it's, it, it's one of those unnecessary movies. Yeah, it's like the young Hannibal one that they made, uh, you know, b before the series cranked up, right? Didn't they do like a young Hannibal movie? Yeah. That I never saw? And if you haven't seen it, you know, the awesome Brian Fuller produced Hannibal TV show. I, mean, I don't know how they got away with the shit they got away with on that show. Yeah, man. But that was solid, dude. Anyway, so we're <laughs> oh, we talked about uh, Guillermo del Toro, of course, the director of this and co-writer being the very beginning of his American feature film career anyway. He's got a couple of people that you're used to seeing in his other movies. Ironically, in Kronos, started with his working relationship with Ron Perlman. He is not in this movie, surprisingly, but he will come back in future movies, especially Blade 2, where he's a real standout in that. But speaking of Blade 2, Norman Reedus is in this, and I always thought, I didn't remember him being in this. <laughs> he's not in it very long, but there he is. He's oh, in, no, he's got like one great scene, yeah, really. And he really stands out in it. Yeah, he's scene stealer. Here's a fun one. Is Doug Jones playing one of the cockroaches? The, or are they referred to him as Long John? Right? Shocker. And of course, Doug is in every single Del Toro yeah. movie from going forward. Doug is one of those dudes, man. And if you ever had a chance to meet him at a convention, do, just get a chance to meet him if you appreciate his work. Just say hi and let him know because 
he's in that group of the sweetest people you can possibly meet in the business. It's pretty, he's a, he's a, he's a wonderful guy, but yeah, he's not in it very much, but a big surprise. Anytime you need some tall, skinny character work, <laughs> skinny man character work, Doug Jones is your guy. And right. You can go all the way back to Hocus Pocus. He is so great. Fast forward three years, right? After the Judas breed has been out there, killed all the cockroaches, you know, we get a reappearance of something new. Now, that's the premise of the whole movie. The bulk of the movie is what's come now. Like you're talking about before, the character Chewie is this autistic boy that uh, Janini is uh, an uncle to. And he's, this kid is so good in it. I'm like, do you, what else has that kid done? His name is Alexander Goodwin. I don't think he's done anything else. I think this is like literally it. The only thing I'd ever seen him before was... Uh Robert Benton's Nobody's Fool, the Paul Newman movie. That's that's where I recognized him from. I mean, I, I was like, where is that kid from? And I had to look it up and I'm like, oh yeah, Nobody's Fool. Because, uh, you know, like I said, I, I wasn't sure. And I was like, is it the kid from Little Man Tate? Because it's been a long time since I'd seen that. But the only thing I remember him from is that I've seen that he was in was Mimic <laughs> and Nobody's Fool. Nobody's Fool, yeah. And, and in that, he was like half the age that he is in this. Yeah, he's even younger. Yeah. Right. The thing about this movie really sets the tone, even if you have seen Cronus, this sets the tone of the kind of look that Del Toro goes for in his movies. Oh, yeah. And granted, there's a whole bunch of, in Blade 2, there's a whole lot of this subway subway things. But um, in between yeah. that, you have Devil's Backbone where you don't have any subway situations anyway. Being the illustrator that he is, he works so closely with the art department that whatever he gets on screen is exactly the way he wanted it. He doesn't make any compromises because his art team always knows what he wants because he provides them with such a detail and what he's looking for. You, and a lot of people have said that Del Toro's work is, you know, you, you always know it's going to be atmospheric. Oh yeah, man. Everything. It doesn't matter what the story's about. And one of the great things that this movie does, they shoot Toronto as New York and they do it really well. They I do. mean, a lot of times I see things and I'm like, I, I know this isn't New York. <laughs> you know, it's Toronto. <laughs> no, of course. Yeah. But I mean, this, dude, there's nothing in this movie where I'm like instantly like, oh, this is not New York. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't even care about it because it's so good. And, and and to me, like, dude, even as his first crack, and I mean, it's, I know it's a $30 million movie, so it should look good, but this movie looks exceptionally good. Like everything right. about it, the sets, the lighting, dude, just that whole vibe, the underground, the, the dirty, filthy, yeah. sticky, gross fucking New York in the summer. The, the atmosphere in this movie is thick, thick yeah. with a capital thick. And I love it. It's one of the things I always remembered loving about this movie. I felt like I'd been slimed. <laughs> yeah. And then Peter Weller shows up. Yeah, right. <laughs> if you've seen, if you've seen the movie, you know what we're talking about. Um, if you haven't, we'll put, I'll put it in the, like, we'll talk about it later on like Patreon or something. We'll add it to the episode because we don't want to ruin the moment for you. We want you to have your no. oh shit moment when it happens and you get to experience it. Like you noted, this was, it's not a cheap movie. It's a $30 million movie and, and getting, and this is an opera. This is back when studios or mini majors in this case, Miramax were taking a chance on names, the up and coming guys, they were taking the chances on guys like Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino just a few years before this, but he didn't have final cut privilege, which is not surprising. Right. 
Right. But he eventually would release a director's cut. It's about 12 minutes longer. Initially just was uh, uh, exclusive to Blu-ray. This is like 10 years ago now that I think about it. And now it's on all the digital services and, uh, but it's not on DVD. So if you want to see it, you got to see the HD, you know, download or, or the Blu-ray. And of course, one that's on Showtime right now is a theatrical. So I have never seen that version of it. I wonder, I have it. It's, it's still sealed, if you can believe that. <laughs> I have a Blu-ray that's unopened. Um, but I'm looking forward to seeing it because he said that, you know, with the release of, of that of his director's cut, he feels more confident because he was never happy with the movie. I only know this version of the movie and I love it. So if he's that confident in that more settled in the director's cut, I'm kind of anxious to see it now. Yeah, I'm I'm curious too. Like I'd like to know what uh there are obviously some things that could definitely fill in story-wise. Sure. But I mean it, it's not like it but it's not like watching Ridley Scott's Legend and you're like what the fuck is going on here, you know? <laughs> right. And having to wait 25 years to get a director's cut. I'm sure that there's some moments that Del Toro wanted back in the movie which at, at that point in his career, he, he, you know, he was like they were like nope. You had your crack at a kid. We're taking over from here, uh, you know, and, and they didn't ruin the movie by any means, but I'm sure there's some, you know, there's some connective tissue and some, uh, you know, and maybe another one of those crazy, you know, kid scenes. God, that was rough. Dude. I was like, oh, I kept thinking they were going to cut away. I'm like, oh no, I forgot. They don't. Yeah. I forgot how hardcore, <laughs> how hardcore it is. And I love the way those, those kids reminded me, um, that the kid, the, the buck tooth kid, <laughs> Oh reminded yeah. Me, he reminded me of somebody right out of kids. The yes. Movie. <laughs> he totally did. Yeah. Uh, right. Like he, he could have just like, literally he wasn't acting. He was just a douchey kid. And they're like, perfect. Let's get that kid. Uh, he was great. Yeah. I, I didn't feel like there was one moment where he was acting cause he wasn't. No, <laughs> exactly. We talk about the set design and, and the general tone of the movie overall we can't talk, go, go through this episode and not talk about Dan Lostenson's work, who is the DP on this. Now, he, the same year, he had that Night Watch remake. Right. That, that he did the same year, 97. He did a whole bunch of other stuff. It was the first time he worked with Del Toro, but he worked with him again on Crimson Peak, which again is extremely atmospheric. And of course, oh, he yeah. was nominated for his Oscar for The Shape of Water. What he does here is so good. And this guy all works all the time. You know, he's not on pause. You know, he's guys always working. He did Silent Hill. Uh, he did that Solomon Kane movie. Not, it's not a great movie, but it looks so good. Oh, I like Solomon Kane. Yeah. And he did the second John Wick movie. I mean, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yep. Come on. Yep. And, he did, and of course, he did the third John Wick movie. I believe he's doing the fourth one as well. The guy has a wonderful eye. And if you look at his filmography, you realize that this dude can do anything. It's not just very atmospheric stuff. Again, look at the John Wick movies. Those are very stylized looks. Well, I'm excited to see hit their, their new collaboration, Nightmare Alley. Yes. A lot yeah. of people, we're really looking forward to that one. And that one, I suppose it was supposed to still be out this year. December? Yeah, December 3rd is coming think, out. Yeah, I think it's coming out, yes, for the holiday and uh, Oscar uh, season. Yeah, but I mean, here's the thing: his movies are never boring. No, they're you know you're entrenched in them, like them or you know not like them. There, there's always you know you're always in for a visual assault. I'll yeah, call it exactly. And then even as a producer, he has a very uh, expected way of doing things. This scary story is to tell in the dark. And of course, he's, they have a sequel for that coming up too. 
the 10 after midnight, which is still hasn't premiered sometime next year. I think, is that, is that like, is that, is that like, that's Netflix, isn't it? Is it Netflix or is it? Uh, and then of course he still has Pinocchio's coming. Pinocchio down the line. It's not his nose that grows. <laughs> that's Pornocchio. <laughs> Pornocchio, sorry. I was confused for a moment. The, the thing about this movie, and it's, and it's so cool again to see the beginning of a career. We were talking about Fincher ahead of time and how it's a similar situation with this. Well, Del Toro kind of had, you know, the, uh, the man who should not be named trying to get him off the movie. And he wanted to fire him. They had like an argument. Yeah, and I'm not, again, I'm not going to say his name. It's Miramax. So you can figure it out for yourself. Yeah. Come on, do the math. And they, he argued with him and tried to, you know, try to get him fired off the show. And it was actually Mira Sorvino that talked him down and said, no, he's the right guy for the show. And then continue production. I don't know if, know how far into the movie it was, but he flew, he flew out from New York to Toronto and they had it out with him. So he was that worked up about it, which was great. You, you, you have to have that support of your lead like that, where you, where you, where the lead and the cast for that matter buys into what you're selling, especially when you're a new director. And, and let's talk for a moment about that. You know, he's from Mexico. English is a second language for him. So for him to be able to communicate this well with a mostly American cast and they all got on board. And again, the Coney Island car scene alone lets you know that everybody's on board because everybody gives it and they leave it on the field. Yeah. And you should have that third act or that it should be elevated to where, you know, the, the, well, you know, you, here's the thing. When those two kids get fucking toasted, you know, no, everybody's fair game. Even the even yeah. Oscar winner. <laughs> it doesn't totally. matter. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you. There, there was, there, you know, there was a moment. I remember when I, you know, when I saw this in the theater and I was like, okay, well, she won an Oscar, but like she's doing, I mean, dude, and they, when they got those kids, I was like, okay, so you know, I wasn't, dude, I wasn't sure any of them were going to survive. Like, yeah. You know, I was like, who knows? I mean, dude, to, for all I knew, fucking the cockroaches took over New York city. That's what I was going with it. And, you know, I feel like the end might be something they tampered with, you know, because they were like, Oh no, we need a sequel. We got to fix this. Right. Kind of see the end kind of seems a little tacked on. Yeah. A little bit. That the, the, the post, you know, post. I wouldn't be surprised if that director's cut has a totally different ending. Right. Like with her cocooned in the middle of the fucking subway or something as, as the queen. It know. was funny when the movie ends and already that one point where they're talking about how the infestation was going to be like, they're going to set up a nest here and set up a nest here. And it's just going to be a matter of time before it's global. And it reminded me of the end of the, the, the first of the trilogy, the recent trilogy, the Planet of the Apes trilogy, where you get to that post credit sequence when the neighbor pilot has the simian flu Mm-hmm. And it gets on the plane and they pull wide and they show that map and they just show how the, with these <laughs> air, graphical arrows, how the disease spreads. Right. Again, watching that with Joey recently, it was during the pandemic and after the pandemic had started, he's like, oh, Joey just goes, not any, not much different than, than the COVID, huh? And I go, nope. No, I'm serious, man. Like everything I watch now, like sci-fi wise, there's always some kind of, I'm like, God damn it, dude. Like every episode of Star Trek, every episode of Stargate, there's like a fucking, <laughs> oh, you brought something back through the Stargate. Fuck. Yeah. That's where they're bringing it. That's where COVID came from. It came yeah. from LD9643. <laughs> Fuck you guys. <laughs> so, oh uh, shit, man. Send and it back where it came from. Yeah. Go back and watch the first alien again and go, what the fuck? Or go and, or watch Prometheus now. Right. 
watch and then you you, you know where it started you can stop after prometheus though <laughs> <laughs> oh covenant you're so silly this movie is so much fun i i mean i'm glad that we sort of uh it, it was supposed to be part of wasn't it but we didn't get to, to it oh dude you said it and i gotta cut it out no, for the next year. Um, yeah, no, 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 totally. I mean, this movie was supposed to be on our roster for last month, but I got hung up there the last week of shooting. So, yeah. you know, it kicks off September. Yeah. In a good way. We, we decided that you can count on October being consistent with the type of movie. You know, it's going to be horror movies. And we've already got yeah. like half, we already got half the roster picked, which is great. I've never seen the sequels. I don't know about you. The first sequel came out four years after this one and then two years after that. Uh, yeah, I, I've not seen them either, like in their entirety. I saw parts of Mimic 2, like on cable, right. I want to say, but I never, I, it's funny because uh, when we were talking about this a few months ago, I was like, fuck, because Mimic wasn't anywhere. It wasn't on Showtime. No. It was just kind of unavailable because maybe the merger hadn't happened yet. Right. Um, and so it was just unavailable. I went on eBay and there was, a, I think there's a Blu-ray, one of those Miramax specials that has all three movies on it, or at least the first two. Right. And I almost bought that. And I was like, Oh, I've never seen mimic two. And then I was like, do I want to buy this <laughs> and then feel <laughs> obligated to watch mimic two? Cause it looks awful. I watched the trailer and I was like, Ooh, but maybe it's not. I don't know. Well, I'm curious because Paul I'm watch w it after watching this, I'm going to watch it. Paul W. Sanderson. He's the one producing the series. This was announced August mm -hmm. of last year. Yep. God, has it been that long? It has. Yeah. It's been a Holy year. Shit. First, when you mentioned it, I'm like, going, that doesn't sound familiar. And now that I'm, then I saw Anderson's name attached. I'm like, oh, I do remember. Yeah, this. because we were talking about, we were talking about Event Horizon and yep. when the fucking Blu-ray was going to come out. Exactly. I was just curious though, you know, with those two sequels, I'm wondering if W.S. Anderson's series is based on the book or if it's going to stem off the feature or, or, you know, or like I said, it's going to be interesting to see. I, I have a gut feeling that they're not going to start after each sequel. So it's either going to be a complete refresh take on it from the book or they're going to pick up from, from del toro's original i feel like they're going to probably start their own thing right i mean it's going to go from the book i would imagine but yeah. you know i don't know i don't know that for sure well you know it's funny you have to assume if it's miramax tv what did who oversees who's who's the overseer on miramax tv well there is no miramax tv anymore right it's uh, all part of do you think it isn't it did paramount buy all that out there is there Mir i don't think there is a miramax anymore is there no, no, there's, I mean, it's, Miramax TV still, it still says it's in, in existence. I feel like it'd be a Paramount Plus show. They have original, so it's got to be for Paramount Plus. Evil, SEAL Team, a whole bunch of stuff uh, moved over to Paramount Plus. And, I'm, and there's, the, if you go on Paramount Plus now, there, there's a handful of new shows. I'd be curious, but I, I feel like they're going to probably go their own route with that. Like, I don't, I, I don't know if they're going to lean into the movie too much, but I, again, I have no idea. Right. Didn't Del Toro do, um, what was Del Toro's series? I love the first two seasons of it. And the Strain. One of the fun things about The Strain is him borrowing from, from his Reaper. Well, no, well, that too, but from the Reapers from, from Blade 2. Yep. So clever. He's so good. And that's one of the things too, when you have a, a director like that, that convey what he wants so easily, not just with words, because he's, you know, it's a visual medium, his illustrations. Have you ever, you've never seen any of his art of books, like his art of Crimson Peak book is so fucking stellar. Every movie he puts out, Shape of Water art book is amazing. And almost everything in there, all the conceptual art is his, is by his own hand. Yeah, totally, man. I mean, yeah. look, he's a, he's a world builder and that's, 
I love that there's, you know, his, his, all of his films kind of have a through line and a, you know, there's a thread from one to another without beating you over the head with it. Right. Um, Marco Beltrami, got to put him out there to the score for this, just like he did for a lot of Miramax and dimension titles around this time. But man, this guy, he worked constantly this year alone. He had, well, the first scream came out the end of 96. So he did that and they did mimic and then scream too. And that's all like in a 16 month period. Right. He did so much Miramax and dimensional work. He did H2O 54, which isn't terrible. <laughs> and the faculty, that was, that was Rodriguez's first uh, foray into a non-scripted uh, production that he did, that, that he helmed. Beltrami's score is perfect here. And then of course, this wasn't the last time that he worked with Del Toro. He did it with Blade 2. This is a perfect 90s package. Not unlike we were talking about before with Event Horizon or anything else in this time frame. The packages worked or they didn't work. They worked wholly or they didn't work at all. But in this case with Mimic, it fucking works. It's stellar. You had a great cast, a really workable script, beautifully shot, great score. This is what you remember it being. It's a super fun movie and it's atmosphere like a motherfucker too yep. even watching on showtime i just had a lights out and just kind of yeah dude totally i watched just, it in the my dark ass hotel room in uh, montana <laughs> fucking pulled that private that night blackout shade fucking pulled the curtains fucking turned off all the lights yeah yeah man it was it's definitely a movie to sit and watch in the dark it's you know it, it reminded me why i loved going to movie theaters Right. And you know, and that's something else that remind me of too, in the tone of it, not to look so much, but the tone and the feel of the movie. And it shouldn't surprise me. And I didn't know about it, this about Del Toro at the time when I saw the movie, but the man is a obsessed with universal monsters. Yep. And a lot of ways, this movie feels like one of those. Yeah, dude, it's got a lot. There's a lot of elements of Frankenstein attached to it. The mummy. I got a the lot of mummy, that too. Yeah. Yeah. Dracula, the yeah. original with uh, Bela Lugosi. Yep. I mean, just some of the POV shots and stuff. Yeah, man. Totally. This feels like this could have been on a universal roster with one of the lesser movies like The Werewolf of London. Something like something that you yeah. have heard of, but have never seen. Right. Yeah. The Invisible Agent. Invi oh, dude, Invisible Agent, dude. I love The Invisible Agent. Man, if you people don't have the Invisible Man collection on Blu-ray, you need to get that shit because, dude. Yeah, they're all good. Invisible all Agent is, is dope, man. It's so good. I mean, dude, Peter Lorre, it's one of my favorite Peter Lorre <laughs> But this, like I said, like, this feels like that and it works just like that. I have a feeling, though, I think you're right, though. I, 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 I'm wondering if that director's cut the Del Toro put out there doesn't have a have that cliffhanger at the end setting up a sequel because those movies didn't even though you knew there was going to be another universal monster movie you never knew who they were going to match up yeah mimic see it not species <laughs> not the relic mimic uh, species anyway so if you want to Follow the show on Twitter. It's at Karate Pod as well on Instagram at Karate Pod. Or if you want to follow us on Letterboxd, you follow Corey at Corey underscore Culp. Or if you want to support the show on Patreon, thank you, Patreon supporters. Oh, we got something fun coming up for you from um, the Tales from Montana coming up soon. Oh, well, I said Tales. It should be should Tales a, from Montana. A tale, because I don't think there's going to be more than one. Well, there might be. I don't know, <laughs> man. Uh, you know, a lot, lot, lot happened in eight weeks. <laughs> So if you want to join Patreon and get into that and have some fun with that, you'll be able to find us there at patreon.com slash KITG podcast. 
If you'd like to follow me, you can follow me at Tom Cody. That's Tom Cody, not species, not mimic, not the relic, but Tom Cody at letterbox.com. And don't confuse the relic with relic either. Yeah, don't confuse the relic and relic. <laughs>